BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to another edition of the National Football Show with your boy, Dan Cilio. You know, I was just talking to my guys as we're getting ready to go on the air. And they're like, this is like kind of the downtime of football. I'm like, downtime? Football? No, you mean downtime NBA. Play-in tournament. Okay. Yeah, well, watch this. Count me out. Okay, I mean, NBA playoffs, count me out. There is never any downtime when it comes to football. This has become America's pastime. You know why? We have clarity in it. People love what the National Football League brings. People love the characters. Do you know what's become so great? And what the NFL has done where other sports have failed. The National Football League has villains. Other sports don't. Do you know when baseball was at its best? Is when you had actually the steroid era going. And you had people that go, Barry Bonds, that guy's on juice. I hate that guy. You know the chickens and all that stuff that they used to swing there at AT AT&T? In San Francisco, everywhere else they booed the hell out of him. And Bonds would drop two souvenirs in the outfield on you. They hated that guy everywhere he went. There was a villain, even a fraud. Everywhere he went outside of New York, well, even sometimes in New York because of his relationship with Jeter, people hated that guy. You have to have a villain. Tom Brady plays that villain for some people. You think Jet fans like that guy? Come on now. Nobody likes Tom Brady if you're in New York. You ever listen to the – Sports talk radio heads in New York talking about Tom Brady. Well, that guy, Brady hates the Jets more than any team that he's ever played against. He hates the Jets. The Jets, I always beat the Jets. The two games that he goes back and says that he'd give a ring back for. Can you believe that? Brady says, I'll give a ring back if I could go back and just have one of those wins against the New York Giants. He hates, boy, I'll tell you, man. Gets in his crawl, those New York teams. Right? Got to have a villain, man. And the NFL paints that. Because you still have rivalries. And you know who makes the rivalries great? The fan bases. You know, every time that we we come on the air, I'm always looking for the teams that have the really greatest fan bases. The Steelers, the Eagles, Saints, Packers. 49ers, Bronco country, 
Hell, I'm starting to know these hashtags. Bronc, hashtag Bronco Country. 49ers. Hashtag FTTB. Okay? Colts for the shoe. Because these fan bases are insane. Everyone's getting ready for the upcoming NFL year. And everyone's getting ready for the upcoming college football season. The rest of this crap is filler. We're proud to bring you a football show exclusively on football. There's never a downtime on this, baby. This bitch always delivers. We're going to have some outstanding guests today. Lincoln Kennedy will be in this hour. The College Football Hall of Famer from the University of Washington. Played his great years with the Raiders. And he's part of the broadcast team. If this, if it's not this year, John Gruden, when? Is Mike Mayock, the made-for-television general manager of the Raiders, is he more so on the hot seat than John Gruden? We'll talk to Lincoln and get his thoughts. Actually, too, one of the biggest dudes I've ever met in my entire life. I call this guy, like, this guy blots out the sun, how big he is, too. Google him. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Earth mover. Like, you know, you want this dude in your old line. And in the second hour, we're going to talk to our friend, broadcast Hall of Famer, and truly a dear friend of mine, Mike Golick. And we'll get his thoughts as we'll whip around the National Football League and get his thoughts on what's going on up in Green Bay. We'll get his thoughts on, you know, how he sees the Patriots this year, what rookie quarterback gets their first win. We'll go through all of that stuff, and we'll get his opinions on really how the league is going to look post-COVID, and going into full houses. So we'll talk to Mike Gullick. That'll be in hour number two. All right, let's dive in to what I call my sandbox here, football. Let's start in the NFL here. So we learned this morning, and, you know, the beautiful thing about all the people that you see that come on our program, and just in the brief time, I think you guys can see that we're pretty well connected. And the show is pretty well connected to a lot of front offices in the National Football League. And I want to make it clear that the majority of the people that leak stuff out when it comes to potential trades, deals, conversations, like let's, let's just use Howie Roseman for an example here. Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Eagles calls everyone. He's always looking for an upgrade at any position on his roster. So just because he contacts, say the Cincinnati Bengals on a potential guy, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be making a deal. It's an inquiry. It's a conversation. Where are you with this player? They'll look at contracts. They'll look at salary caps. And sometimes teams want to get out from under a cap. Sometimes teams want to move on from a guy because he's not living up to the contract. You know, people don't say any longer he's not living up to expectations. People now say they're not living up to the contract. That's what happens where teams have to look at a financial budget because one of the things that the NFL has compared to everyone else, I know baseball has the luxury tax, but the one thing that football has, they're, they're in a salary cap, salary cap, and they've got to do a lot of projections for like four and five years out. How is this roster going to look financially four or five years out? Are we going to have that balanced cap? Are we going to be in financial hell like some teams end up finding themselves three years down the line? COVID-19 has really wreaked havoc. The league is probably, because of this new 17th game that they've added, is probably going to recover a lot of last year's 2020 minuses when it comes to the attendance in the stands. So they're going to be able to probably kind of kick that back up. It was essential for the Players Association in the league to get that 17th game 
on the schedule so that they can make up some of that money and get through some projections. Because inside organizations, Howie has a salary cap guy who watches the cap, and he deals with salary cap. You have guys who do talent, talent evaluation, and you try to put that all together for the owner, and you tell the owner, this is where we're going to be in three years. This is what we can do next year. This is what we can do two years from now. That's what they're doing in Atlanta right now, trying to figure out, okay, we owe $68 million of dead money if we were ever to get rid of Matt Ryan today. That's why Matt Ryan's name was kind of floated out, but that's for next year and potentially the year after that because you can't just deal Matt Ryan from the Atlanta Falcons right now. It would be a $68 million crushing cap hit to the Atlanta Falcons, and you'd be in purgatory for the next two and a half years. That's why you can't dump a guy like that. That's one of the things, though, with the new collective bargaining agreement, not this year, but the next year, that you're going to see more of those big deals moved because what have they done in that contract negotiation? A team like the Todd Gurley deal that was put out there a couple of years ago by the Rams when they signed up to all that money. Follow me here now. It's because it's important how teams are being built and constructed today. They know, and there's about $25 million that the Rams still owe Todd Gurley, okay, with the Falcons. Here's the deal, though. They're going to be able to defer a lot of that money out, and it's going to help, and it's team-friendly when you could defer the dead money out. Before in the past, that dead money assassinated your salary cap immediately. It assassinated it. But now you can defer that money out, and the Players Association have agreed to that. As long as the player gets the money, who cares? You know, Clay Matthews Jr., he's owed money still from the Rams. They're going to defer that money out so that they don't get crushed on their salary cap and so they can still make moves and still go out and get guys like Matthew Stafford and restructure contracts. So when I say this to you, agents talk. You know, I, I'll talk to say, like, we had Kevin Colbert on with us last week, the general manager of the Steelers. I'll talk to Kevin maybe once a week. How are things doing? And, you know, we'll have a conversation of, hey, man, what do you make of what's going on in Green Bay? He'll go, yeah, man, can you believe all the agents are saying this about how things are going back? And, and you just pick little tidbits of what's going on, and you put these things together. When you're hearing the same thing from, say, Seattle – or I'll call up Dan Morgan, and I'll talk to Dan Morgan with the Buffalo Bills who works in their player personnel de uh, department, and they're talking about looking at, you know, upgrading this position when it comes to the draft. I know that they're going to start isolating. So when I hear those things, they're either going to address it in free agency or they're going to address it in the draft. I've talked to many of the Cowboy people. I'm very plugged into the Cowboys. And the Cowboys obviously have an emphasis right now on upgrading their front seven. The Cowboys front seven last year was notoriously bad. I mean, we saw the Cleveland Browns go for over 300 yards on the ground. Never in my life have I been on a football team where somebody ran the ball for 300 yards on me. And that includes bitty football. <laughs> I mean, hey, man, that's when you're in a fist fight. You got one hand tied behind your back. And guess what? You can't defend yourself. So... That's how I go around finding some information. And I found a couple things out today, especially also about Julio Jones. But I want to get into um, 
the contract that's on the table right now for Aaron Rodgers. And there is a contract on the table for Aaron Rodgers. It's three years, and I didn't get the exact number, but it's over $40 million. So we're talking a $100 million contract extension that's on the table. What would be the holdup? I think you got to start doing things after June 1, so you're not going to see any contract that's going to be pushed across the desk to the player and signed and pushed back to the team. So a lot of that stuff and a lot of that conversation will start after June 1. Then, of course, July is training camp. Will Aaron sign that contract? Here, here's, here's what I'm being told about where Aaron is now. There's, there's clauses in the contract that's being proposed to him where he renegotiates the contract. Get this, at the club's behest. So if the, con- if the contract states, and, and, and I don't know why Aaron would be upset with this, because here's how this works. You sign a $40 million per year contract extension, and it's guaranteed to you over the next three years. And you want to go back to him and you want to say to him, hey, man, you know what? We want to restructure the contract. You know what that means? That means that next year he gets a signing bonus of the money given to him up front. And if you're getting $40 million, they're probably going to guarantee the 40. And that would take 40 off the cap for them right there. And they can restructure the contract. They think it's more like 2.9 or something like that. That would be taken off the cap. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that because it's guaranteed money in the player's pocket. Every time they renegotiate the contract. I just think that right now that I think Aaron wants to clear the air, get everything in line. And I really do believe now having gone through all these lies that Adam Schefter and everyone else were saying on the day of the draft, I think this guy wants to retire Green Bay Packer. I think he wants to do it that way. I think he wants to end his career. Why wouldn't you want to, who would want to end their career with the Chargers or with the 49ers like that? I don't, when you're a Green Bay, you want to end as a Yankee. You want to end as a Celtic. You want to end your career like Kobe did as a Laker. You're not going to sit there and try, well, here, let me go to the Titans. Or like Emmett did, let me go to the Cardinals. Nobody wants to do that. So there's a lot. It's the language now that is in the conversation's way of getting this deal potentially done. I also say this to you about the Packers situation. Jordan Love has had probably around 120 practices so far this last year with the Packers. You know, all the days of running scout team. You know, maybe Rodgers is banged up. He takes first team reps. You look at that guy, and I think the Green Bay Packers have come to the conclusion. They know that he is not ready at all to take over the reins as a starting quarterback. It wasn't like years ago when they had Brett Favre there and they watched Rodgers throw the football, run a huddle, know where to throw the ball. They knew he was ready. It was almost the same scenario when Alex Smith was in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes was backing up. Um, Alex Smith, Andy Reid, remember all those press conferences? This guy behind this guy, man, is just unbelievable. He's one of the best players I've I mean, they couldn't wait almost to get rid of Alex Smith. If that were the case in Green Bay, think about it. If you thought that guy was close to being ready and you thought that that guy was in a position to take over for Aaron Rodgers, you don't think that that would have been a $40 million haircut that the salary cap of the Packers would want to have gladly taken 
you know, he may not be Aaron Rodgers, but he could be. And you're not even saying that. I think the Packers are now in the position where they went like this. Hey, we effed up, man. Um, I, How many – and to say that is okay. Look at what the Arizona Cardinals did a couple years ago when they drafted Josh Rosen. They drafted uh, Josh Rosen, right? Cliff Kingsbury gets in there, and he knew Steve Kime had made a mistake. He goes, this guy ain't the guy, dude. We got to go back into the draft. And what did they do? They drafted a quarterback in consecutive seasons. That is so unheard of. That's not – how about this? That's not common. And you know what it is? It's ballsy. Hey, you got to go back to your owner. I know you know the money that you gave Josh Rosen, that signing bonus money. Well, we're going to throw it in a trash can, and we're going to light it on fire, and we're going to take another quarterback, and you're going to pay another signing bonus to that guy. What? Remember they traded him to the Dolphins? They never got the value back for that first-round pick. Okay, that guy was a bust. I don't even know if he's in the league now. But they went and they had the onions to go back into the draft. They knew him. You're telling me the Arizona Cardinals knew Josh Rosen in one year was not the guy. And that the Green Bay Packers are still doing this. Well, you know, I think he's not. We see failure at that position more than any other position in draft history. The Packers are afraid to admit their mistake. And when they admit their mistake, that gives the player more leverage. And when you give the player leverage like that, hey, man, the player's got financial leverage on you too. So Aaron Rodgers now, I think he's sitting in the catbird seat. That's why he's not signing it. He wants this thing to be an extension that calls his career in Green Bay. And I don't blame him. You know, maybe also talking about going out and getting particular players to add some pieces. When's the last time they drafted a wide receiver? I can't remember. Jordy Nelson? I, I Honestly, I can't remember the last time they went out and got anybody. So that's a football team. I said it yesterday to you, and I'll continue to say it. It's run by committee. That's why they have underachieved in Green Bay with Favre and with Aaron Rodgers. There's too many voices in the room. Nobody cares what the guy – who's in the personnel department, and he's the third scout thinks, or I don't care what the wide receiver coach thinks on what we should be doing when it comes to conviction on a game plan and who we should attack. That's got to come from the head coach and the coordinators. You take those guys' information, and when you're the head coach who's young, then what you do is you move forward with your convictions, not just your decisions, but your convictions. That's what's really lacked in Green Bay. I think Rodgers knows. Watch this. The Packers, in my opinion, are not very good upstairs. They're average. And that's why they've been average. Some would say, Sills, they're 26 and 6 in the last two years. Matt LaFleur looks like the guy. Well, yeah, when you've got Aaron Rodgers and you got Brett Favre, you're going to win a boatload of games. That's like telling me this. Hey, Phil Jackson, what a great, great coach when it comes to building a team. Really? He was given the baton to build a team in New York, and he bombed. He had a ready-made championship team that Doug Collins and everyone had put together in Chicago, and he told Jordan to turn and shoot. He gets to Los Angeles. He had a ready-made team there by Jerry West and Mitch Kupchak. Hey, Kobe, Shaq, turn and shoot. Now, does he know how to balance the plates? Okay. 
Like he's a ringleader? Absolutely. He's one of the greatest at it. Comes to building a team, though. I mean, he ain't the guy. Look at what Phil had, man. He had Jerry Krause. You can say whatever you want about Jerry Krause in Chicago. He did find Scottie Pippen. He did make a deal for a guy like Dennis Rodman. Okay? He did fire Doug Collins and put Phil Jackson into that seat as head coach. You know, he, he drafted Horace Grant. He got Tony Kukoc. And then look at what Phil had when he went to L.A. You had Mitch Kupchak and Jerry West. You can say whatever you want about West. Not only was he a great player, but arguably the greatest executive in NBA history. Look at the teams that he constructed there. By the way, he was also the consultant for the Golden State Warriors uh, up in Golden State when they were talking of trading Steph Curry, who may win the MVP this year. When you have great management above you, it trickles down. It really does. And I think right now the Green Bay Packer front office, I think the Green Bay Packer front office has been suspect at best. You got Favre and you got Rodgers. And you got two Super Bowls, albeit great. Bengals and Cardinals and places like that would kill to have. Chargers would kill to have a Super Bowl trophy in their showcase. You know, no question. But when you have guys like that that are trend-setting quarterbacks and you do not deliver but two Super Bowls and you've been underwater since you won that last Super Bowl 10 years ago, ask yourself, what's wrong in Green Bay? I know people are like, Green Bay wins all the time. Yeah, man, they kind of do. But do they win when it matters? Not sure they win where, when it matters. That's postseason play. Brady's not gauged on all the records and crap that he has throwing the ball. I hate those records. You know, when Dan Marino was always put up, look at the numbers Marino put up. Who cares? Marino got the one Super Bowl. And get this, this guy had a losing record to Dave O'Brien, the old Jets quarterback. Dave O'Brien, I think, was like eight and seven or something like that against Marino in games as a starting quarterback. I know he had a better record than Dan, head-to-head. And I'm like, Dave O'Brien, the guy with the Jets, the guy who was drafted in the first – yeah, that guy. And Marino never really succeeded in the postseason outside of one year. Got to the Super Bowl and Montana blew their doors off. Crushed them in Palo Alto. Now you can say all you want, but you're gauged by the postseason. And in my opinion, that Packer front office has completely gotten away. Same thing like in Philly. Philly should have been a dynasty. Okay, they should have had the beginnings of a dynasty. Instead, ego just unraveled that whole thing. All right, we're going to catch up with our friend Lincoln Kenny and talk some Raiders. John Gruden is 19-29 and 29 since he's come back into the NFL. If not this year, when? Keep it here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back, National Football Show with your boy Dan Stelio. We're going to effort our friend, Lincoln Kennedy, one of the great Raiders of all time, part of the broadcast team, to get his thoughts on the upcoming 2021 season and how the Raiders did this offseason. i got to tell you a quick story here about my involvement with the Raiders. When the Raiders got back to Oakland after they relocated back from Los Angeles, one of the very first hires was myself. And I'll never forget walking in the room, and there's Al Davis. And my friendship with Al truly began then. And he's like, hey, I'd like you to do some of our broadcasting and do some of the pre- and post-game show. And I've posted it numerous times, uh, pictures of us being part of the broadcast team. I was there with uh, Coach Flores, David Hum, and it was just a wonderful experience being involved with the Raider organization. Al would call me every single day before my show. He was so plugged into the league. He was always thinking ahead. I had traveled around with him numerous times going to Vegas. You know, it's funny how the Raiders are in Vegas now. I wanted the team in Vegas years and years ago. That was one of the landing spots that he thought that the team would end up landing, either there or Hollywood Park where the SoFi Stadium is now. That's where Al wanted the Raiders stadium. So Al was ahead of the case. And you know what really makes uh, Coach Davis one of the most unique and mavericks of the NFL? All the things that people were doing when it came to relocating, getting all these new stadiums. Al was ahead of the curve, man. He knew the league when it came to improving the revenue, when it came to monetizing the league's logo and the brand of the league. He knew that they needed to expand the brand on getting these new stadiums, maybe moving some teams around. He was ahead of it. Then after he did it, everybody jumped in. People were looking for the next best thing on what was best for their organization. And that's really what made 
you know, what Al Davis was all about with the NFL and his conflict. I've, I, I had great conversations with him about his, his relationship with uh, Pete Rozelle. And, you know, I got to tell you, they admired one another, but they were rivals. Nothing like being a Raider. As we bring in our friend Lincoln Kennedy now, who's part of the broadcast team for the Raiders and one of the truly great Raiders of all time. I was just telling everybody, Lincoln, that I, I was like part of the first broadcast team for the Raiders when they got back to Oakland. Al personally went in and hired me. And, you know, I don't think people realize how Al had his fingers on every single aspect of his organization, how it was presented, the players, where they were going to play. I know that your relationship with him was strong too, but he was just a maverick, wasn't he, man, when it came to really that Raider, that Raider brand? Well, there's no doubt about it. It's kind of what you should have expected of ownership in professional sports, an owner to have its finger on the pulse of the franchise as way of the way of the league. Um, we've gotten away from that because we've had so many businessmen coming to various sports and ownerships, it's a little bit different than somebody like the Rooney family or the lunge that were brought up in it, you know, especially what Al Davis did. So yeah, no doubt he was a pioneer. No doubt he was a maverick. Uh, he brought a lot of people the wrong way, but you know what, you know, the, the great thing about that 30 for 30 special that ESPN aired was, um, was it showed that without his efforts and without the, the, the things that he did with, you know, as, as you were talking about with uh, the NFL, um, we probably wouldn't have these magnanimous stadiums. We probably we wouldn't have, you know, different teams playing different places. We probably wouldn't have the NFL as popular as it is right now. It's on the verge of going international for on a permanent basis. Um, that would not have happened if Al Davis didn't do what he did. Absolutely. And Lincoln, you know, I'll say this to you too. You know, there's great alumni and then there's organizations that really revere their alumni. I think the Steelers, are also in that conversation when they look at their alumni. I think the Dolphins are a little bit that way as well, even though the Robbies are no longer the owners of that franchise and the Davis family is still the owner of the Raider franchise. But there's nothing like Raider family, is there? I mean, if you played for that organization and you played for any length of time, they embrace you to be part of the organization, don't they? We have a saying, once a Raider, always a Raider. It didn't matter if you played one play or you know a thousand plays. It doesn't matter. Um, the fact is that we we appreciate ours, the ones who don the silver and black, our family, and that's the way that I've revered all the alumni, both young and old, uh, and we'll continue that as long as I'm around. Let's get into where we are this offseason. I always do this, Lincoln. I never I never really just isolate on a draft, and I never isolate just on free agency. I look at encompassing it all when it comes to free agency. Did the Raiders get better from the last regular season game of last year, 2020, to right now? Do you think they've upgraded in significant areas that were maybe a little bit light, especially on the defensive side of the football? Well, Dan, you know me. I'm a guy who's, who calls it like I said. So I've always said you never know how good you are until you play against somebody. And I will say this. You know, the, the Raiders desperately needed an upgrade, especially on the defensive side of the football. And far as names go and as far as opportunities, they're there. So, you know, going out and, and, and drafting the way they did, addressing free agent. Right now, they've got over 13 defensive linemen sitting on their roster. 
including defensive ends like Inakwe, that, that was one of the big pickups. You know, they've got Solomon Thomas they're expecting a lot of. And they drafted, you know, a lot of defensive backs to help out that secondary. So, you know, we're going to have to see what, what goes on with that defense. But they needed a lot of adjustments. And more importantly, you know, not more importantly, but one that stands out to me is Alex Leather with their first-round pick out of Alabama. To me, here is a right tackle who can start or right away. So he walked into the facility the day they drafted him with the job at right tackle. Uh, and I think he, Tom Cable and him are going to have a great uh, great relationship in Army. Absolutely. Tom Cable, one of the best O-linemen in the National Football League. Let's go over to David Carr. Is he misunderstood by the media, you think? Because, you know, on one hand, I, if I ask 10 people, Lincoln, their assessment of, of David Carr, one guy's going to go, you know, I don't know. Another guy's going to go, if you look at his numbers, man, he's the top 10 guy. Every single year, you see him in the top ten and all, and he's one of the more productive quarterbacks. How do you how do you view David Carr? Well, you know, when you look at Derek Carr, the thing you have to remember, Dan, is that it's it's not it's not so much stats. You you know, here, here's the thing: we can go to where blue in the face over stats and stat junkies and analytics, but does that always translate into wins? I think that you know Derek has been a quarterback who's been. First of all, getting out of Fresno State when they did in the second round was a great value, as they call it, with picks, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. And then having him be as consistent as he has been over his career is also a good thing. But, and this is a big but, is he the type of quarterback that's going to consistently beat Patrick Mahomes? Is he the type of quarterback that's going to consistently keep the distance? between the Raiders and the Chargers and now Justin Herbert, who had a tremendous rookie season. The, you know, the Broncos are eventually going to get it right. That's the question. And that's the question the Raiders have to answer this year. Look, they went out and they decided to keep him for one more year because it doesn't really cost them that much guaranteed money. But then they're going to be in a different, difficult situation. If this team does not see fit to get into the playoffs, if this team does not go far into playoffs and you have to move on, it's going to be awfully hard to find somebody to replace someone who has as good as quality of Derek Carr. But with that being said, this is the game. You've got to go on. And when you talk about the premier quarterbacks in the league in both conferences, you know, it's hard to keep Derek out of the conversation, but you also have to say, what has he done lately? And so he hasn't been able to take that next step with John Gruden's offense. He had a tremendous year last year, throwing over 4,000 yards, a tremendous interception to uh, uh, touchdown interception ratio. Uh, all in favor of, the, but he did not translate into wins. And when it's when we're in a business, as you know, Dan, it's a performance base. You got to win. We care how many good numbers you got to put up. I mean, you could be a solid quarterback, but if you don't win, you do us no good. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I'm of a little mixed reviews uh, when it comes to Derek. Um, I like the guy. He's a tremendous guy, but I think that it's going to take a little bit more to get over the top. We'll see now they got the offensive line together. They've got a number of weapons around them. There are no more excuses. It's time for him to go. So we'll see this year how it, how it works out. I covered John Gruden in Tampa for over a decade. And when I was there, he was very hard on quarterbacks. The relationship between him and Derek Carr is what, in your opinion? I think it's a good one. I think there's a level of loyalty to almost a, you know, a, a degree that might be unhealthy in the sense where I don't know if John would re readily move on for Derek unless he's forced to if that makes sense. So, you know, it's one of those things where John is definitely going to be hard on Derek um, and he's going to push him. But 
you know, after Derek hurt his, in, hurt his ankle in 2016, when he was on pace for maybe an MVP candidacy, um, he hasn't been the same. He hasn't ran as much as John Gruden would, uh, would like him to. And I believe that today's quarterback has to, has to extend plays by using his legs. And, and you've seen some of the ones that, are, that have had truly success do it. Now, you have the people talk about, you know, the way Tom Brady and stuff like that. But Tom Brady is more of an experienced quarterback that knows the game, reads the defenses, has a pre-snap intuition to read uh, before he snaps the ball, especially on pass. So he doesn't need to move. Um, but, you know, Derek has struggled. He struggled with it last year, reading some of the change-up defenses that are out there with the more experienced defenses. And it's not going to get any easy for him. Absolutely here. Let me get into John Gruden, your assessment of him. 19 and 29 since he's come back. Now, there has been improvement every year since he's taken the baton and he has been the head coach there. You know, I, I, I thought one of the issues, and tell me if I'm wrong, Lincoln, on this. I thought one of the issues that him and Bruce Allen had issues with in Tampa was that John was a little bit more involved in the personnel decisions instead of just being a coach. His first stint around with the Raiders, you know, you had Ken Herrick in the room. You had Al Davis still there. You had a lot of personnel people that were there helping John. And that's why I thought that first stint was a more successful stint than maybe where we are right now. How are you looking at John's second go around with the Raiders here? You know, Dan, I don't mind a head coach has some influence or and say in personnel decisions. I don't mind that. I don't want to, obviously, I don't want a coach who's going to wear too many hats. But I look at it like this. If, if, if you and I are working together, you're a general manager, I'm a head coach. If I come to you and say, Dan, I need a shutdown corner, I expect you as a general manager to give me a shutdown corner. And I don't necessarily have to have the day-to-day say, but I just tell you what I need and you go out there and get it. I think that's the type of relationship that there should be. Now, you know, uh, and I know that when he was here the first time with the Raiders um, and, and Al Davis was around, nobody was overseeing personal decisions. You weren't telling Al Davis what you need. He was telling you what you were going to get. And that's the way that he ran things. So and, and that's, that, that worked. That worked for him back then. When he went to Tampa, I felt that John wanted to prove himself worthy because his idols were like Mike Holmgren and those other guys that were doing that, involved in personal decisions. So I get it. I understand. And I don't have a problem with it. It's just you have to be mindful that when it doesn't work, and if, and you're, you're going to have to reap the, the repercussions from it. To be honest, when Gruden came over the second time, he totally changed over the roster. So that's why this is a very critical year for both him and Mayock to show and prove their value, their worth, because they have to get it right. You have to win right now. You can't put other things on the back burner and say, okay, well, give us a couple of years. We're still working on it. No, no, no. you got to win because those first rounders that he got from the Amari Cooper and the, and the Khalil Mack trade, well, they're coming up. They're coming up for renegotiation. They're coming up for fifth-year options. They're coming up to be like what the Cowboys had a couple of years ago when they were on, it seemed like, you know, solid cap purgatory and could not get everybody signed to get everybody had at least less than people. If you don't win right now, that's exactly what's going to happen with the Raiders. So this is a very critical year. Hey, hey Lincoln, I got to tell you this story. So when, when Bruce Allen and John Gruden were in Tampa, I used to get this call from, hey, what's Charlie Gardner and Tim Brown? What are them dudes doing, man? Tell me those guys are out of gas, ain't they? I'm like, Al, you know, I'm a buccaneer. He, when he, I was like, Charlie Gardner, man, he's got nothing left. That was funny, man. It was it was a really big-time rivalry, and I don't think people realize the rivalry. And that's why when John Gruden got the head coaching job with the Raiders, I was like, wow, way to go, Mark. Not only did he get the stadium in Vegas, 
but he also brought John Gruden back. And I always – I told Amy Trask, I said, man, I don't know how I would have thought of that one. Him <laughs> Seeing John roll back into, <laughs> into that building there. What do you make of Mike Mayock? I mean, look, Mike worked for the NFL Network. And I know Mike had been offered some other personnel positions too by other NFL teams. I know the Pats during the Sullivan uh, era and some other teams – we're interested in Mike coming aboard as a personnel guy. What do you make what he's done so far as the GM of the team? I think he's done a pretty good job. I mean, the thing is, is that they, they, they've they had better success through the draft, per se, than they've had through free agency. And that's a little bit of a change from a general, typical general manager. If you look at some of the free agency moves that they made and how they didn't necessarily pan out. You know, I think that Mike has done a pretty good job. Look, I had the most respect for Mike. I remember working with him when I worked with the network after I retired, uh, NFL Network, and thought he had a, a brilliant mind. And in this in this day and age, especially with what's before us, coming post-COVID, look, you can't get in front of people anymore. You can't have that personable feel with guys anymore. It's, so you've got to do a ton of evaluation off of film. And there's nothing wrong with the psych test, but there's also a time where you get around a guy and you talk to him and you see whether or not he's passionate or loves football. And I don't know if you can really do that or make that fair assessment these days with the conditions that are that are before us, especially with COVID. So with that being said, I think Mayock has done a great job with the circumstances that he's had to deal with. And, you know, like, you know, you know, coming on board um, when he did, you know, John Gruden put a lot of pressure on his shoulders to make these moves, these draft picks, make them right, get them right. And Mayock has struck gold with some, you know, non-premier draft picks, getting Max Crosby to play the way that he has. I mean, so you've got guys that are on that roster that have, that have shown a lot of promise and, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of zip. But there, there are people who are dissatisfied with, say, Cleveland Farrell, even though Cleveland's gotten better over the last couple of years. They're dissatisfied with some of the more premier picks about their start, start out, standout status and stuff like that. But I, mean, I think he's done a great job. Two last questions for you here. And, and, and Lincoln, I, I had um, Kevin Colbert on with me from the Steelers the other day. Can you imagine you're not able any longer – to sit there and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the guys that you're going to be picking outside of like some pro days and stuff. How insane is that where the first time you see these guys are going to be like rookie camp or rookie OTAs and these mini camps. I mean, you talk about throwing darts now. The draft process is impossible to evaluate as it is, and you don't get to have a hands-on with these guys. These GMs and these organizations, I mean, I think that, that's been the toughest thing during this time. Do you agree? Finding well, the talent? Me, I honestly believe um, I'm pro player, of course, as a former player. I'm pro player. So I want the players to have as many of the rights to be able to take advantage of. But I tell you what, the way some of the rules are functioning and the way they are these days, it is a handicap because football is a team game. We can't play football together over Zoom. You and I can't get better together over this platform. You see what I'm saying? More yeah. importantly, the way the rules are currently, you know, even if even if I came to you and say, hey, Coach Cilio, I want to get better. Would you work with me? You know, there's only a certain amount of time that you could work with me. And this is my job. We're, we're talking about upwards, upper seven figures, and you have a limited amount of hours that you can create or command to your job by being coached and trained by the people that you're supposed to be playing for or playing with. And so, you know, what I mean by that is that there's a tremendous disservice. And I understand why the players are doing it. 
I understand why the veteran players would do it. Look, somebody like Tom Brady doesn't need a mini camp, doesn't need a training camp. I get that. But his backup does. And the backups, uh, the, the guys who aren't playing or aren't the everyday starters trying to get ready for when those starters go away, they do need to, they need, do need development. Offensive line has fall, play has fallen off dramatically. Defensive line play has fallen off, the tackles and everything dramatically. And the thing is, is that more and more guys want to be away from the facility and, and don't want to train at the facility. But then when something goes wrong and the NFL business-wise wiggles out of giving them their contract money, they're mad and they want to sue the NFL. Well, look. The NFL, all these all these places got these beautiful facilities. What's wrong with why would you much rather go over to uh, an Eagles Fitness uh, uh, a place or uh, the, instead of the facility? Why? Because you want to be around the coaches? Well, I mean, I, I say all of that to say this: the, the NFL is in a very troubled state, in my opinion, because the future quality of the game is going to be harshly affected by these upcoming rule changes. And if people aren't going to be doing off-season workout programs, if people aren't going to be doing training camp, and we're going to cut more and more in preseason, then you're going to use more and more of the regular season to get guys in game shape, which is very dangerous, because not only injuries could happen, but more importantly, if you don't get everything together, your timing together, your season is pretty much lost before it really starts. Boy, I got to tell you, Lincoln, the things that you just said, I've had conversations with Rick Spielman on this before too. I think the quarterback play has actually gotten better. And I think the offensive line play has actually gotten worse because as you know, it takes so much more time for an offensive lineman to develop a defensive lineman run forward, wind him up. He can hit a gap and he's gone offensive lineman. When I played those guys, man, they were getting better and better and better as they got older. I think it's more, of a difficult task today to build five guys as a unit than it is to find a quarterback. I mean, you never see free, you never see offensive line free agents. And when you do, you see the Trent Williams getting these gigantic numbers, or you see Orlando Brown getting these gigantic numbers. There's no question. I mean, you and I, we had three days, you know, I mean, people, we constantly were hitting, and the deterioration of the old line, no question. I completely agree with you. Real quick, that stadium, boy, I'll tell you something. I can't wait to see a full house with that thing, man, because of all the stadiums. Now, I, I don't know about the win thing there because it's kind of taking the black hole away. It's a little ritzy-ditzy for me. I'm going to miss the black hole, the win box there, whatever that thing is. But that stadium looks unbelievable. I can't wait to see a full house. Dan, Allegiant is gorgeous. It is going to be one of the fan favorites, and it is a great addition to the city of Las Vegas. Look, I can tell you, Las Vegas did a wonderful job, the way they welcome the Raiders. And more importantly, you know, what has touched my heart since the first time I stepped in Allegiant Stadium last season, um, even though there weren't fans, it was the Raiders' home. Been affiliated with the, this franchise for over 25 years, and I remember sharing the stadium in Oakland. I remember, you know, playing in the Coliseum when you were basically sharing the stadium with USC and everything else. And it was you never really had your own space. You were always kind of the, the stepbrother. Even the Bay Area, you know, for what it's worth, it was almost like a city or a place divided between San Francisco and Oakland. Obviously, the fan base was different, but because the 49ers controlled the rights of that area, it was just like we were trying to get in where we fit in. Now at Allegiant Stadium, when you walk in there, it's all Raiders. It's all silver and black. It's all Raiders history. And it is a fan favorite. It's going to be a fan favorite because it is a beautiful stadium that will definitively give the Raiders a home field advantage, without a doubt. When the people come in there, they will be pleased. Raider Nation is going to love it. 
because it is theirs. It is something that is for them and only them. Don't have to share with anyone else. You know, anyone else that matters. Yes, you and LV will come in there on Saturdays, but this is the Raiders home. And you'll see it everywhere. And that is something that you are going to love. It is gorgeous. No question about it. Uh, I talked to Brett Musburger about it, and he's like, it's it's second to none. Lincoln, it's always great talking with you, my man. Thank you so much, man. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Take it easy, bud. You got it. Lincoln Kennedy, part of the broadcast team for the Oakland Raiders. Man, I can't wait to see that baby packed and filled. All right. We got a little tidbit on Julio Jones and two teams that are potentially looking at acquiring the wide receiver from the Atlanta Falcons. We'll hit on it next on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. National Football Show with Dan Silly. Also to come, Mike Gold will join us in hour number two. God, there's so much news going on in the NFL. It, 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 I go out looking for news. I don't wait for bloggers or dot-com nobodies to put some BS out there and go, oh, let's run with this and just make these situations up that don't exist. I go out actually asking questions. And the question that we hit prior to Lincoln Kennedy coming on, we were talking about the deal that was on the table for Aaron Rodgers. Well, there's also now another potential deal 
that could send a high-profile guy out into the market that I think is going to have a lot of takers. Now, Julio Jones. You know, I my, my, my thoughts on him, he is a fantastic football player. And put in the right situation. And and, and know this. I, I I tell you, my my thoughts on wide receivers, they're overrated. I don't need to win Super Bowls with wideouts. I don't. I need to win Super Bowls like the way that the Eagles won a couple years ago. Beating the piss out of you up front. Own you up front offensively. Own you up front defensively. Make some critical plays with my quarterback. Don't turn the ball over. Keep me third and short. And you know what? That's why that Derrick Henry Tennessee Titans team is always in the game. You know why? They don't have a fancy quarterback. They don't have fancy wide receivers. What do they do? They run you over. You see, when you have a running game versus a passing game, let me show you the difference in why teams that run the ball. The Bucs won the Super Bowl because playoff Fournette showed up. Watch this. So you throw the ball for 500 yards in a game. Late in the football game, all of a sudden you have three and outs. One, two, three, you're out. Three, you look like a ballet routine. You give possessions back to the other team when you have three and outs. Three and out, team gets a possession. And if they have six plays, they gained a possession on you. If they start sustaining a drive on you, before you know it, you start losing field position. What else do you start losing? Time of possession. When you can run the ball from goal line to goal line, instead of throwing the ball from 20 to 20, where do most passing teams struggle? In the red zone. You don't see running teams struggling in the red zone. Running teams go from goal line to goal line. That's the kind of team I'm trying to build. Goal line to goal line, not 20 to 20. How many times have you seen football teams put up these enormous offensive numbers? They get into the red zone and they putter out because they don't have – because why? There's another defender on the field. When you are in the red zone and you're on offense, you're playing against 12 guys. Oh, you don't think the back of the end zone is a factor? You can't throw your entire playbook at the red zone because you've got the back of the end zone to deal with. That's like another defender back there. There's so many, so many plays. A quarter of your playbook is taken away from you inside the red zone. Running the ball is essential. That's why Derrick Henry keeps that Tennessee Titan team in a position where they can get to AFC championship games. Hey, one of the reasons that Patrick Mahomes didn't win, I mean, they could run the ball. And if you think about it, even against the 49ers the year previous, it was Mahomes making these weird plays in the fourth and Garoppolo overthrowing receivers. Receivers? Who cares? I can win with – look, you think Tom Brady won those six Super Bowls with gigantic wideouts? I mean, he never won a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. Oh, but he put up great numbers. Great, wonderful. Ask, ask Brady what that year meant to him. Oh, it was a great year. Oh, maybe he wouldn't say that because he didn't end with a Super Bowl in any of those years with Moss. They, they ended with losses. And in the most critical games. So, I mean, wideouts? Okay, I mean, unless they're, watch this. If he's my third option and he's Julio Jones, 
That's where it fits. If he's my number one option and I got to get the ball to Odell Beck, look at Cleveland, for instance. That's a great example there. Cleveland goes out and they make the deal to get Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham averaged 95 yards a game as a New York Giant. They didn't win Jack. Then he goes to Cleveland. He's averaging 61 yards with a lesser quarterback than Eli Manning. And when he got knocked off the football team with an injury, what happened? They won. He, he's a dis- It's an offensive distraction if you've got to get targets to guys. Antonio Brown. I think he was a distraction in Pittsburgh. All those catches he had led to nothing. It led to nothing. When you're promising targets, Brady doesn't promise targets to anybody. It's about moving the chains that particular week against a skill set or lack thereof of the other team that they're going to attack. They're not going to do this. They're not going to go into the game and look at Evans and go, well, he needs 14 targets they don't go into the game like that how many times you heard wide receivers do this well I got my 14 catches 138 yards and two TDs I'm good yeah but you lost well that's not my fault (laughs) okay well I'm gonna readjust my thinking process now I'm not saying Julio thinks like that I'm not I'm not saying that at all I actually like the player and I think actually the player is putting Hall of Fame numbers up looks like the Colts and the 49ers are the first people to try to throw uh, a conversation at the Atlanta Falcons. It's funny. I reached out to Rich McKay, the president of the team, and he said, can you give me 45 days? Makes me think something is being conversed there inside the building. And I know that Matt Ryan has come out, the quarterback of the Falcons. He has come out and said, I can't imagine our offense not having Julio Jones in it, okay? That's a nice way, but again, hey, he's on the chopping block too. I told you earlier, they're not going to be able to move him because the money that it would put a dent in that cap of $68 million if they were to move off Matt Ryan. If they could, they would, in my opinion. Instead of getting Kyle Pitts, okay? But if you're if you're Atlanta now, you're like this. Okay, Julio Jones and... Kyle Pitts, these two guys here are going to be my go-to guys as my air attack develops with Matt Ryan. I don't know, man. That's That sounds awful tasty from a brand-new head coach, new coordinator, all of that. That seems to me that I'd like to make a go of that. Matt Ryan has put up – how about this? Matt Ryan with Julio Jones has put up good enough numbers where you could go like this. Watch. You think that he's better than Phillip Rivers? I don't know. They're pretty comparable. And many people think that Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame-type quarterback. You could go like this. I don't know, Matt Ryan, Tony Romo. You know, Ryan's got to a Super Bowl and one more. He's actually got an NFC championship ring. So the point is this, though. Colts and 49ers are the first players up, it seems, that they're going to try to make a play for him. Now, salary cap, numbers, all that have to play into how you adjust the player's contract, your cap, um, the deferred money. How are you going to fit him in? Okay, so there's a part of me, again, all of that has to play. Like we said earlier and we conversed earlier, okay, money, projecting out the salary cap in a couple of years, all of that plays into the 49ers and Colts. But what I love about the 49ers and Colts, 
stepping up first for Julio Jones. Look at what Frank Reich, and we said this yesterday for Carson Wentz. They're not going to sit back like they do in Green Bay and go like this. Hey, Aaron, go win us games. The Colts are in the position right now. Let's get as many people as we possibly can around Carson Wentz so that we're not relying on Carson to have to go out and do the things that people think he's not capable of. And maybe he develops into being a seven-step guy. Maybe he develops into being a guy who throws the ball 45 times if need be. Okay, you put Julio Jones and you put Jonathan Taylor, the kid they got from Wisconsin a year ago, who really picked his running game up in the second half of the season. I, I got to tell you, I thought he was a bust at the beginning. And as I saw him playing more and more and him starting to get more open space and him starting to run the ball a little bit better, I got to tell you, man, I, I really changed my opinion of him because – he was a catalyst in that Colts team winning 11 ball games. Phillip Rivers is going to be the riverboat gambler. He's always that guy. You know, a typical Rivers game is going to be three touchdowns and two picks because he's going to try to fit that in there, man. That's just the way the Cowboy played the game. But Colts and 49ers, Trey Lance is in the building now. They're trying to get as many quality guys they can around Garoppolo and him. I got to tell you, man, that's a pretty damn good position to be in right now. All right. I think this was the move of the offseason. I'm going to tell you what this is. We'll do that in hour number two. You keep it on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack. 
The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Dan Cilio, National Football Show. In this hour, we're going to effort our friend Mike Golick, Broadcasting Hall of Famer. We'll get his thoughts on a plethora of stuff that's going on in the National Football League. We appreciate you coming aboard with us. You know, I, I, I teased this going into this segment here because, you know, you always look at what teams did in the offseason, whether it be the draft or getting a high-priced free agent in or – you know, making the move at quarterback is always, you know, something that you evaluate if a team upgraded or not. You know, last hour we were talking with Lincoln Kennedy, part of the broadcast team for the Raiders, and I asked him, did they get better? Did they improve the roster? Did they fill holes? Did they address the needs? You can always look at a team when you saw the deficiencies on a respected team in their previous year. Like the Raiders, in my opinion, defensively, they got to get guys on the ground. They were not very good in their front seven. They were not very good in their red zone. All of that stuff had to be addressed. I've talked before about the Steelers. Third and one. Had to go out and do something that was important. You know what that was? That was going out and getting a player like Najee Harris from Alabama to address that need. You know, ever since Le'Veon Bell left the Steelers, their third and one and their goal line and their red zone offense when it came to running the ball has been anemic. And the Steelers had to improve that. And just think of this front. They won 11 ball games last year. That team wins 11 ball games, and they had all those issues on it, and they didn't end the season like they wanted and how they started the season. So teams go out, and they address those respected needs. And the teams that do it are the teams because, you know, you get the softer schedule. You get the higher draft choices. Some teams know how to do it right, and some teams don't. I'm going to tell you – the move that I thought, though, that was the move of the offseason. Think of this for a second here, okay? If you're in need of a quarterback and you're going to make the fundamental decision inside your organization to move off of a guy or to go after a guy in the draft, that's a lot of conversation, okay? That's a lot of conversation. you got to talk money with your owner. You've got to talk salary cap. And what I mean by that is, are you going to go veteran? Are you going to go rookie? You're going to be able to, if you hit on the guy, there's more of a gamble on the rookie. If you go ahead and you isolate that you're going to go into the draft, there's more of a gamble there. If you're looking at a veteran guy, a veteran guy is who he is. Now, can he improve like Ryan Tannehill did? Absolutely, with better coaching. And if you think inside your organization fundamentally that you can improve that position, every single team evaluates that position at the end of the year. It's got to start there. The National Football League starts at the quarterback position and ends at the quarterback position. I don't care how many Khalil Max you have on your roster. I don't care how many Aaron Donalds you have. I don't care how many Julio Joneses you have on your roster. If that position is not solidified, you are not going to win ballgames. Now, certain skill sets fit certain teams, like Tennessee, 
You don't have to have Tom Brady in that building. You can have Ryan Tannehill in that building. So every team is looking at that position as the offseason comes. Okay, follow me here. And this is where I think this was the best move in the entire offseason. The San Francisco 49ers were in a dilemma there, okay? And they ended up making this thing a positive. And it has to start with ownership. And it has to start with the DeBartolos and the York family being able to do this. What do we want to do with this position financially? You can't have gigantic salary guys at one position like you could back in the day where you could pay Steve Young $5 million a year and pay Joe Montana $7 million a year. You can't do that anymore because of salary cap. You just can't. You don't see two gigantic stars at that position on one team. It doesn't happen. Or everyone would be doing it. They would be protecting themselves in case their frontline starter ended up going down. Look what the 49ers were able to accomplish. Now, know the history here. The 49ers go out and make a move. Do you know this too? John Lynch, the general manager of the 49ers, when he initially called the New England Patriots about making a deal for a quarterback, because if you remember right, they had Jacoby Brissett, they had Jimmy Garoppolo, they had Tom Brady in the building. That was their quarterback room. Hey, and for the record, all three of those guys ended up becoming starters in the NFL. So when people say Bill Belichick doesn't really know the quarterback position, he drafted all three of them guys. I dispute that when people say, and remember something else, he went out and found a guy in Matt Castle who never even, do you know Matt Castle never even started a down for USC? He played behind Carson Palmer and he paid, played behind Matt Leiner. He never started a down at Southern Cal. And yet that guy, when Brady went down, won 11 ball games as a starting quarterback in New England, and he actually went to Kansas City and won a division title there. Matt Castle, I mean, Bill Belichick found him, and he was also at one time in that quarterback room. So Bill kind of knows that position. I think he learned a lot from his failures in Cleveland when he was dealing with the whole Bernie Kosar and Vinny Testaverde thing. Where I'm going here now is when Lynch initially called, there were conversations. You remember, this is why Brady ended up wanting to get Garoppolo out of the building. There were conversations that Bill Belichick was trying to make that transition into going from Tom Brady to Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, Tom Brady got wind of that, went upstairs and said, I still got football left. And Kraft was right. He did. He won another Super Bowl. They sent Jimmy Garoppolo, and they were not going to trade Tom Brady. Okay? But he wanted to see if they could bring Brady home to San Francisco. That was the initial conversation. John told me this on my show. I was shocked. So they get Garoppolo. He goes, okay, I'll take Garoppolo. Remember what Bill did? It was for second-round draft choice. The 49ers won the trade. You know, nowadays, a guy like Garoppolo will cost you first-round draft choices. It'll cost you big money. You know, a one, two threes, whatever. You make a deal for a guy like that. It's going to cost you big first-rounders, man. And it's going to cost you high-priced first-rounders. They got him for a second-rounder. What does Garoppolo do? When healthy, he wins an NFC championship ring, takes a team to a Super Bowl, 
couple bad throws. This guy's got a ring on his finger. He's 22 and eight as a starter since he's been in San Fran. The problem, he's missed 53% of his football starts in San Francisco. Obviously, you can't put a game plan around a quarterback that plays half the year. You just can't. You can't put a roster around a guy who plays half the year. Just can't. It's not fair to the other 52 guys that are in that locker room that when your quarterback goes down, your season implodes. And by the way, that's everywhere in the NFL. But what you're trying to do is, and they ended up getting Trent, get this, they ended up getting Trent Williams signed to a long-term contract, making him the highest paid offensive lineman in the league, rightfully so. He's a phenomenal football player. Here's the move, though. There were conversations, and, and I don't believe that this is going to happen, but you have to go with me here on this. So the 49ers were getting a ton of calls. How much for Garoppolo? And the 49ers put a first-round tag out there. You give us a first-rounder, we'll move them. Get this. Some teams offered that as we started getting closer to the draft. The 49ers were going, okay, this is when I knew Trey Lance was their guy and not Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama. Trey Lance from San, from uh, from uh, North Dakota State, I had to look on YouTube for his game film. I didn't. I saw one game last year and a couple games the year previous to that, and I was like this, okay, well, this guy doesn't have a lot of film on him. Which usually, what does that mean? If a guy doesn't have a lot of film on himself right now, what does that mean? He's a project at best, okay? He's going to need time to learn how to play the position. The same thing with Jordan Love. Jordan Love doesn't even really know how to get into a huddle. Most of these guys don't. They play out of shotgun the most of the time. So you were able to keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the team and draft a first-round draft choice. And I hear some people out there saying, man, well, did you waste? You never waste when you're drafting a guy in the first. You never waste the pick. Somebody's going to offer you something for if, – if Jimmy Garoppolo, let's just say everything falls into place, the 49ers go to the Super Bowl, and they have a Super Bowl – Okay, and they have a Super Bowl in their pocket and they win. Say they win it, okay? Say they win it. Is that a bad move still? If you want to move off of Garoppolo or you want to say, guess what? We had a quarterback that won the Super Bowl and he was a Super Bowl MVP. How much do you want for Trey Lance? How is that a loss? It's not a loss. It's just not going to be a loss. You've got yourself in a position. Of, and I, I, I tell people this every single time that the NFL draft comes around. If I was a general manager of a football team, okay, I would draft a quarterback in my draft every freaking year, every year. Because you know why? You never know when you're going to land on Brady. Look at what the New England pay. You know, it's funny. Everyone looks at the Patriots and go, oh, they drafted Brady. Unbelievable. They missed on him five times. It wasn't like the New England Patriots were like, oh, my God, we got Tom Brady and we had a first-round grade on Brady and 
You know, we always knew that Tom Brady, they never knew this. They thought he was going to be a camper dude. You understand when you're a six-round draft choice, there's only one other round left. I was drafted ahead of Tom Brady. Tom Brady was like in the 200s. I was 56 as a junior. I mean, uh, really. I mean, Brady was like a nobody. So, yeah, the Patriots are – no, they're not. They got lucky. Well, if that's the kind of luck that it takes to maybe draft somebody you never heard of or a guy that you're going to flip a coin on, I don't know, you think he's good. You saw Brady's draft pictures when he was at the Combines. The guy looks like he sweeps uh, streets or he's a streetcar conductor or he's in an elevator. I mean, like like a school teacher. You didn't think that guy was going to turn out to be that dude. And for the record, I never thought that dude would be with Giselle. And I tell people this all the time. You can have the seven trophies, man. I'll take Giselle. I'm good. I don't. (laughs) How you doing? Right? I think that's Brady's greatest Super Bowl trophy is Giselle. I digress. So the move of the offseason, man, the move of the offseason had to have been that the 49ers were able to keep both quarterbacks. And, again, this goes back to ownership, the Yorks and, 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 and the Bartolos. Okay, he's not going to cost us a whole bunch. He's making $28 million. We're, we got the kid, Trey Lance, on a rookie contract. If we were going to go out there and we were going to sign a guy like Aaron Rodgers, it would cost us north of $35 million to bring a guy like that into the building. One of these guys is going to win us a Super Bowl. That's how John Gruden is looking at that. One of these guys here, we have a Super Bowl roster. So I say the move of the offseason is not Matthew Stafford. It's not Carson Wentz. I say it's this one. The 49ers drafting their guy that they identified and keeping Jimmy G on that 49er roster. Uh, to me, I think that's the golden nugget there this, this offseason. All right. I want to get into and transition into money at the position of quarterback. How many, you know, you know, I, I, I hear on numerous shows, oh my God, Patrick Mahomes, he's just going to be the godsend and he's going to be unbelievable and the next go, I heard that one. He's going to have at least four or five Super Bowls. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's see if he gets back to one again. Uh, yeah, well, he's got the coach and Andy, and he's got the organization, which is true. The Hunt family is one of the greatest organizations that you could possibly work for. You ever notice in Kansas City, they don't ask for new stadiums. They want to fix up Arrowhead. And why is that? Because the fans love that stadium like they do at Lambeau. Arrowhead is the AFL's Tiffany Stadium from the old league. There's nothing like Arrowhead. I've played there. Nothing like Arrowhead. There's nothing like Lambeau. These are cathedrals for football. When you go into and, – and to give you just a little bit in, this wall right here, the, the like – the players are standing right here, and you can hear people screaming at you. It's so close. And that's what makes those confines and those plays so loud, man. It's funny. The new stadiums, you're further away from where you used to be, okay, and they make the fans further away. And the old stadiums, 
man, you're right on top of the fans. You can, you're right there. You can hear everything, and they're screaming loud. Arrowhead's a great organization. The Hunt family has been spectacular. And with Andy Reid now running the organization and having a lot of say when it comes to personnel, he's put his print on that place. You know, they ended up getting rid of John Dorsey a few years back. He got a guy in the building there that kind of works with him instead of works side by side with him. You kind of want a guy working with you, not a guy who has a job and my job is the GM and you're, you, you, you don't want cookie cutter organizations. You want it to feel like the Steelers were, hey, everybody, if they say something in the room, nobody's over their skis in any way whatsoever. And you're not insulted if somebody brings something else up. You know what I mean? So I, I, I get asked this question. How do you look at Patrick Mahomes' future? I think it's all going to be really wrapped around that contract that he just signed. He signed a $500 million contract with the escalator kicking in next year. You know, this year they've already asked him to re restructure his contract so that they could fit Orlando Brown in and so they could fit other players in because they were light on the defensive side of the football and they had to go out and get some depth. And if Patrick is willing to do that and reinvest in the team like Brady did, you see, you got to remember, he's not going to be giving back any money. But what he's going to be doing, Patrick Mahomes, he is going to have to be a board of directors player at the table that say when the organization needs to do something financially, they need a player. They need somebody else to go on the other side of Hill or they need to pay for a running back. He's going to have to be, unlike Aaron Rodgers, open to redoing his contract, not taking less. And so far, it seems that Patrick is willing to do that. There's no doubt Lee Steinberg, his agent, and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Hunt family, Clark Hunt, who's the owner of the team, had all this and had a conversation over a dinner, and these guys, they walked through this. Brady's secret sauce in New England was that he was, you know, Brady was never the highest paid player in the history of the NFL in his entire career. He was never the highest paid guy. Never was the highest paid guy. But what Brady did was, it, it's like an investor. Brady invested in himself. He took some of that salary and he gave it back to the organization and the organization went into the O-line, went into free agency to get maybe better players for special teams. We're able to adjust all of that for building a roster. That's the stuff that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do if they're going to want to get back to Super Bowls and maintain being a player in the AFC. Look, his skill set says that he will be. But again, it takes a village to win these Super Bowls. And if you're not willing to renegotiate your contract and open up the checkbook, and maybe I'm saying give, I'm not saying give money back, but restructure how that money's given to you, you're never going to win these things. All right. We'll talk to Mike Golick about this. Also, I'll ask him his thoughts on San Francisco and what's going on in Green Bay. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, 
grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back. National Football Show with your boy Dan Stale. There's no downtime any longer in the NFL. There's really no downtime in football, even in the college ranks. You're constantly recruiting. You know, if you're a college football coach, you're always looking for guys. And if you're the NFL, now because of the way the COVID restrictions have put it on where you don't really have hand-to-hand contact with many of your guys, that, you know, the Zoom conferences, constantly talking to your guys, game planning, Man, what a tough putt it is now for these coaching staffs to have to put rosters together today in the era of COVID. I mean, you know, when back in the day we were putting these rosters together, they could have like a thousand people. Didn't matter. They could have like a thousand people um, like at a camp or whatever. And it didn't matter because you know what? You're going to be there three months and you're going to go through three a days. And you're going to go there and they're going to find your 80 guys and then they're going to whittle it down to 47 guys. And you had three months to build a football team. That's the way it was back in the day. Now with COVID and all that, you don't really have hands on to like talk to these guys. I know we're getting more to that now. These rookie camps now, this is like the first time that these organizations have actually had opportunity to work with these kids like hand to hand and be in front of them, have them in front of them where, you know, you're going through drills, you're getting teams together. I'm telling you, 
I think one thing that COVID will really wreak havoc on is the development of the offensive linemen. You know, one of the things that the collective bargaining agreement did, and I understand when it comes to player safety and player health, one of the issues, though, that I think you get and one of the issues that I think you have is that, to me, building an offensive lineman and building an offensive line and developing an offensive line, I can promise you this. We were talking to Lincoln Kennedy in the last hour on this. Man, it, it, these guys develop later than they do defensive tackles. You know, you could put a defensive tackle in a three technique and he can just rush up the field. And, you know, defensive linemen, you tell them where to line up, they're going to hit the gap and they're going to go. Offensive linemen, it's a lot more skill set, left foot forward, right foot forward, right guard, left guard, left tackle, offensive tackle on the right side, more your run dominant guy. There's so much more technique. And I think the NFL Players Association and the league itself, I think they really hurt the development of that position. And with COVID not being able to have hands on, like Tom Cable, you know, was talking a couple weeks ago, the offensive line coach for the Raiders, being able to sit down and talk to these guys and being able to go out and practice techniques. It's not something that we're able to do. We have limited time with it with them as it is once we get into training camp. So it's not the same as it was back in the day for them to be able to go out and develop these guys. So COVID has really wreaked havoc, in my opinion, at that position when it comes to developing the offensive linemen. Now, as we get further along here, and it looks like the NFL has put that Request in that now players, you know, if you've been vaccinated now, you're going to be able to be more around the facility. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I, I think the offensive lineman because of COVID. And like I said, with Lincoln Kennedy in the last hour, he was making that, you know, very apparent that I think the old line, if anything, that's the group that's going to struggle the most. Let's bring in our friend here, Mike Gullick. And let's see if Mike agrees. Mike Hall of Famer and – we appreciate you coming aboard with us so much. Mike, I had Lincoln Kennedy on with us in the last hour, and I asked him what he thought COVID and what area of the football team would end up hurting the most as they go into getting these kids into OTAs, mini camps, and training camp. And he said the offensive linemen. You know, Mike, they have limited time as it is during the training camp. COVID, you know, developing that group is almost as more difficult as developing a quarterback, no? Well, yeah, it is. Um, I would I would probably I would say right there would be if your plan is to start a young quarterback, then that's obviously going to be very difficult. Now, a guy like Joe Burrow handled it extremely well last year, even until the blue out of need. We're not talking about that part. Of, we're talking about the mental aspect of picking up the game because that quarterback has to know everything. So there's the one person that has to know everything. And then there's the five guys that have to do everything together. So, I mean, that's like, you know, just think of an oversized ballet, you know, that's what the offensive line needs to be. Uh, not pretty in some uh, instances, but yes, I would agree outside again of a young quarterback that's expected to start. And I don't think Mac Jones is going to be that guy. I don't think Trey Lance is going to be that guy. I don't think Justin Fields is going to be that guy. Trevor Lawrence is going to be that guy in Jacksonville where he's handed the ball right out of the gate. Um, so that could be an issue. But, yes, the O-line as a group, without question, that'll affect him. You, you, Mike, tell me if you agree or disagree. I, I, I said earlier that 
I think the move of the offseason was in San Francisco and the fact that they were able to keep Garoppolo and go out and get their guy at the third pick. And I get it. Look, he's missed 53% of his games. I'm talking Jimmy G. There's no way you can go into a regular season any longer preparing this guy and the football team knowing that he may miss half the year. That being said, he's 22-8. and eight. You've got a young quarterback from North Dakota State. I think that's the move of the offseason, keeping both those guys on the roster. Well, I think – and the good thing about it is go, let's go back to when Jimmy G signed that. Remember, all we heard, it was a team-friendly deal. And this is where you benefit from a team-friendly deal where you can keep him and you're on a rookie uh, a wage scale for, you know, the rookie quarterback. So, you know, I think the last class before the rookies came in, Sam Bradford was the number one pick. You know, you're guaranteed $50 million and you have a kind of a hefty, uh, uh, you know, nut right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Well, here you don't, you know, with, with a rookie quarterback, so you can deal with this a little more. And, and to what extent, I don't know, but you've heard um, – uh, um, their GM, why is it? Why is he drawing a blank on me? John Lynch, John Lynch, know, saying, saying, "Hey, we've been up front with Jimmy G this whole time," and you really hope that's true. You hope there's open lines of communication, and Jimmy has to know it as well. Listen, okay, when I'm out there, we do usually we win more than we lose, but I'm missing a lot of games. You know, you can't really, you know, hitch your wagon completely to a guy like that when you can't count on him. You know, you know that line. I mean, we all heard. As players, the best ability is availability. You could be the best player in the world, but if you're in the tub, it don't matter. So I think San Francisco did the right thing, but they have the buffer. Anytime you don't have to start a rookie quarterback, especially with a team like San Fran, who can win now. They're getting Bosa back. I know they lost some guys on defense to trades and free agency, but they get Bosa back. Uh, you know, they obviously have Kittle. They, they have a passing game. They can have a running game, get that old line workout. They can win now if you if you have a rookie quarterback out there. Even the veterans in the locker room know it's not going to happen at a great rate. So let's see what Jimmy can do. I agree. How about this, Mike? You know, I hear everyone talking what's going on up in Green Bay. And follow me here and tell me, you know, I think it's more of a story, Mike, instead of just one thing. I mean, go back last year. You, you, you trade up to get the quarterback. Does that really aggravate him? Maybe. Then you watch him in the NFC Championship game. They give up that seven points going into the halftime. They don't go for it on fourth down. There's constant bickering. You saw how the relationship ended between Favre and how it began with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. There's like an M.O. in Green Bay on how they really move off of people, how they deal with people there. And I say this to you. It's because you can't run a football team by committee. For 30 years, Mike, you've had two guys, Brett Favre, and you've had Aaron Rodgers, and you win two Super Bowls, albeit great. But these are these are like these are generational players. Yeah. I think they underachieve because they're run by committee. Am I off base? Oh, they absolutely underachieve without question. Now we know they're the ones that are owned by the public, but they have a management team in place. We get that, and I even think it goes back before that. I forgot the person's name in the management. That that Aaron liked, and they got rid of him. Aaron talked about how we really like this one receiver. They got rid of, him. and and we know that we've been second round or later wide receivers. Now, granted, some of those wide receivers have panned out and done really well, but you really wait for them to load up with the weaponry around Aaron and take advantage of those years, and you just don't feel like they did that. 
And Aaron is always one of those anyway who found a chip on his shoulder. Aaron, I think, is 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 pretty quick with a fuse. If he doesn't like something, and and I know we've heard Ron Wolf talk about it and others talk about it, that kind of the old men on the porch saying, oh, these guys are all divas today, and we hear about quarterbacks want more control. And and I probably fall somewhere in the middle. Do I think that a team should ask a, a your franchise quarterback what they should do? Well, if you want to have a conversation with them, that's fine. But it doesn't mean you've got to listen to them. I mean, you know, to sit there and say, well, the, uh, this quarterback wanted this and they didn't do it. Well, tough. I mean, sorry, it doesn't work that way in the real world all the time, okay? I mean, you know, I wasn't, you know, you would, who's your boss or my bosses, I wasn't, you, you can you can give input. I gave input a ton at ESPN and I joked about it a lot. You know, a lot of times it was okay, yeah, and nothing was ever done. So you can you can say it all you want. Aaron Rodgers to me, I was asked on, on Twitter, Where's Aaron Rodgers going to play next year? And I said Green Bay. I don't. I don't do not think he is leaving Green Bay because he truly wants another Super Bowl. Where's he going to go? Where is he going to go? Where he's got a better chance to win a Super Bowl? Unless he goes maybe to like a New Orleans all of a sudden. But I mean, there's not a lot of spots out there for Aaron to go other than the 13 and three team he's been on the last two years. Mike, do you agree that? You know, Tom Brady kind of like opened up the jar a little bit for these quarterbacks. And when you're paying north of $40 million now, and you're in a position now where these guys almost are like sitting at the board of directors table with you. And like you said, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to ask the guy who I'm going to draft, but I'm going to tell a guy, maybe this is our direction here because he's a board of directors guy now. And do you think when you see Russell Wilson and you see, Aaron Rodgers and what Tom Brady did by going and leaving New England, going down and getting his way and having the organization with Jason Light put everything around him. You think that's going to be a new wave or do you think that's just the Brady thing? No, I, I think it's listen to all the guys you mentioned. These are all guys who have been around a long time and have had success. So they've kind of earned their stripes. This isn't something for a third year quarterback to be doing. And we know and I say third-year quarterback, you're kind of still on your rookie deal. Even after you get past that that deal, is all of a sudden next year when Pat Mahomes' new deal kicks in, does he get a seat at that table? You know, did he have it last year? You know, is Andy Reid, you know, breaking bread with Pat Mahomes on what he wants to do? I don't, I don't think he is. He's maybe – they're maybe having conversations. So I think they're and, – and I don't know if people really dig it because I think people still have the – employee employer thing but do you earn a seat at that table you know i guess is that the question and the three guys you mentioned if that in fact they get a seat at that table now again not to make decisions but to be involved in some conversations and try and have some input i think that that's a seat that has to be earned over time let's go to cleveland here and you know i said this about baker mayfield to me when i saw him get that job and alonzo highsmith who i played with at um was in the personnel office there with John Dorsey. And I, I told hi, man, many, I, I thought he was a high school cheerleader. I thought he was immature, but Mike, there was something about the kid after Beckham goes down after week eight, I went like this, huh? I started doing huh more. I started going like this. Wow. He's not throwing his team into trouble here. He sees the guys behind him at Kareem Hunt and he sees Nick Chubb. He knows what he's got around him. I thought that Stefanski did a really nice job at aiming him in the right direction down that yellow brick road of success. 
And that's why they picked the option up of 18.8. I went, yeah, I'm good, but still I'm doing this, Mike. This is a year for me that whether or not I'm going to give him the keys to the franchise to think that guy can win a Super Bowl. Is that how you see him? Yes. I mean, a thousand percent. There was kind of a growing period. You know, I, I think players, he leads well to the almost to a fault. And the fault early on was when the coach got fired and then uh, and then got hired by Cincinnati and he ripped them for taking a job from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Hey, dude, Jackson. listen. Yeah, I mean, come on. This is this is what happens. You lose a job, you go somewhere else. A player on the team wanted out, and he was calling the guy a traitor and all that. And, and, and that he even had some veterans pull Baker aside and say, "Listen, you don't do that garbage here, okay? You know that that's some raw rock college or high school stuff. That doesn't work in this league. Men are men are trying to get jobs in different places. So I do think he learned from that. I do think players gravitate toward him. He's got enthusiasm. People will want to call it raw rock." But he backed it up last year. But I'm still with you. So we saw a good rookie year. We saw a bad sophomore year. And last year, we saw him start to play a little bit better. And, but I give Cleveland credit, they built around him incredibly well. They, they set him up to, to succeed. To me, this is the year. Pick up the option. I get it. It buys you a little bit of time. But this is the year. Which direction is he going? Because right now, and I give credit to, to Barry, who, who has helped build this team, is I think this could be the third-ranked team in the in the AFC. I don't know if you agree. I mean, no, I Kansas, do. City, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cleveland. I, I'm trying to think of who else. You know, Pittsburgh's line is decimated O-line, and Ben, who knows, you know, how he's coming back yet again. Uh, so I think they're set up well, but I think this is that big year for Baker. You know, Mike, I, I, I want to get to Jalen Hurts here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to start this out. I don't want to load the question up for you here. But what, what I love about this kid, okay, now some would say this, you know, he surrendered and put his hand up and wanted to get out of Alabama. I don't look at it like that. He was a great teammate there. He, he played for Coach Saban. Then he goes to a completely different organization. He goes to a different mindset. He goes to Lincoln Riley's offense there with Oklahoma, he becomes a star. And, and Mike, we talk about people gravitating. You gravitate to Jalen Hurts at both places. My only question is, does he have the skill? Hey, yeah. it's great for everyone to love you, Mike, but you and I know this. Once you're inside the hash marks, does he have the skill set to play? What do you think of him? Yeah, you could like a guy all you want, but can you play? That, yeah. That's a determining factor. And real quickly about leaving schools. I don't give a damn about that. You know what? These guys get four or five years to get seen if they want to play at the next level and get some play in and some time in. So coaches do it all the time. They sign a five-year deal. Two years later, they're gone to a better opportunity. And I know people say, well, they're coaches. They get paid. It's their job. They can't. You know what? The player should have has that ability to do it. And I have no problem when a guy thinks that he can try and better his stock by going somewhere else. So let me get that out of the way. I don't have a problem at all. Jalen, man, jury's out. We haven't seen enough. Listen, the sample size isn't enough. So do I know with him? No. Do I know with Tua, guys like that? No. But here's what I keep saying, Dan. And and, and it's tough to generalize because I did it about Big 12 quarterbacks for a while. There for a while, I was like, name me a Big 12 quarterback that had done well in the NFL. Now, Mahomes certainly is doing that. Baker Mayfield is kind of is trending toward that. Yeah. Kyler Murray, 
He has to be a better passer still. With the running game, he's doing great. Arizona's usually up there, but he's gaining eight, 900 yards. But, he, but, but he's still trending in a good direction. So I say this when people ask me about Justin Fields or Jalen Hurts or Mac Jones. I said, name me the last Ohio State or Alabama quarterback taken high that has turned out to be anything in the NFL. And I say that with the caveat of I don't want to generalize. And, and, and you could get a difference here in Justin Fields or with Jalen or with Tua. But right now, it's a pretty good sample size. And of that sample size, Zippo. None in the in the last, you know, however many years has come in and done a great job. Mike, I've said this, and you know what? I get so much blowback on this. In 130, including from Spielman, from 132 years that Ohio State has had a program, they've never had one guy, one guy. Go into the NFL and don't give me Arch Schleister or any of these other dudes. Come on. Those guys were bums, man. I'm like Mike. And they're going, well, you're recruiting the, the, the program instead of the kid. Okay, maybe I miss on the Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley State. Right, right. But if I – okay, I might miss on him, but I'm not going to miss on Andre Johnson from Miami or DeAndre Hopkins or any of these other guys from these big programs like Notre Dame or Miami. I'm not going to miss – with these kids. Am I wrong when I look at Justin Fields and I go like this, hey, good luck to you, man. I don't see it. You know what? I, I, I What do I say is looks good, but we said that about other quarterbacks coming out of Ohio State. We said it about other quarterbacks coming out of Alabama, right? Looks good, but then what happens? We don't know. Anybody sitting there trying to say the kid goes from college to the pro, we have no idea. But when I ask that question and I, whoever I'm talking to, I say, give me the last Ohio State or Alabama quarterback. You know what answer I usually get? Namath. <laughs> Namath, Namath and, and like Kenny Stabler. You know? I mean, I'm like, okay, that's my point. And again, <laughs> Justin Fields could turn out to be great. Two or Jalen maybe will. But all we have is the sample size. And I know, as I said, you can't generalize, but the sample size has been a pretty good one for both these schools. It hasn't really panned out it, it, from first rounders. Again, I'm saying from guys drafted in a position where the expectation is that you are going to do well at the next level. Final question for you, Mike. I, I, I say this about Dak Prescott. I really like Dak. I think Dak is a really great face of the Cowboys. I mean, no question about it. But prior to his injury in that Giants game last year, they were they they're lucky to win that Atlanta game. They are a sieve on defense. They, they, they are paying – get this. They're paying now $42 million for, for the quarterback. They're paying $18 million for the running back, and they're paying another $20 million for Amari Cooper. you got a $182 million salary cap. Mike, before I even get to the offensive line, I'm at $110 million. I, I just don't see the, the Cowboys in a position to build a team around him. That's a Super Bowl contender. Do you agree? Well, I mean, that's what happens when you pay everybody else before your quarterback, you know, you, you, cause you knew you were going to pay your quarterback and then you paid everybody else and you really hamstrung yourself. Now, are you missing your window, especially on the line, that line that you paid that had literally four first rounders on it, you know, save for an off the field incident it would have been four first rounders in Lyle Collins, but these guys now are all hurt. You know, they're nicked up. They're not the line they used to be. The defense was a sim. So, I, I get 
keeping Dak because you need a quarterback. Because I'll always ask the question, when everybody was at Romo saying they need to move on from Romo, my question was, okay, where are you going? Who are you getting? Who, who's filling the spot? And if you're paying all these people already, that means you're in the win now mode. You're not paying, as you mentioned, you mentioned all the numbers. You're not paying that to all those guys to be rebuilding. You're paying that to win now. So Dak had him over the coals. Dak, you knew they had to pay Dak. You're not paying those other guys to bring in a rookie quarterback. You're just not doing it. Hey, hey, hey Mike, so finally here, have you, like, has your body adjusted to not being a vampire and getting up in the morning and like, you know what, going to bed like a 10-year-old where you go to bed at night? <laughs> have, have you adapted? Dan, it's unbelievable. I'm getting up at 7.30, 8 o'clock. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get back into this. I'm, I'm going to get back into shows. I don't know if I'll get back into a morning show, though, because <laughs> 4.15 for like 25 years was a bit much. And let me tell you, waking up and – and looking out and seeing the sun out and not doing something <laughs> in the studio is pretty damn nice. I'm not going to lie. Hey, man, I did it for 20 years too, Mike. I mean, look, oh. I used to think I was a vampire, and yeah. I used to think I was 10 years old going to bed. Brother, I thank you so much for finding time. I can't wait to see what your next venture is, and thank you for doing this. Thank you, Mike. You got it, Dan. No problem. See you. You got it. Mike Gullick there. Yeah, we'll take a brief time out. Your boy, Dan Cilio, you keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network.
Welcome back, National Football Show with your boy Dan Sawyer. Great folks stepping in with us here today. We had Lincoln Kennedy in the first hour and Mike Golick there just a few moments ago. By the way, do me a favor, guys. If you guys really are liking the show, please like the show, share the show, do whatever. Okay. I'm hey, I'm learning the internet and I'm learning streaming and I'm learning new platforms. I said this yesterday, and by the way, you know, I, I, I don't want to get spanked again for it because I'm becoming a platform performer now. I'm going to leave it there, okay? <laughs> We're on all platforms now, okay? I do radio at night, my national radio show, and it's one of the great things now that people get a chance to get all their information anywhere they want, get a little sound bites. You can get an interview. You can get the entire show now. You can... It, it, it's more consumer friendly, I think now, sports broadcasting than it's ever been. It's consumer friendly. What an interview. Hey, let me hear what Bob Golick or Mike Golick say. Let me hear what Bruce Arians or Frank Reich say. I mean, here, I'll get the interview or whatever. And it's so consumer friendly. Instead of sitting around and listening to four hours of a radio show back in the old days, now you get a chance to really just pick your format and your platform. And that's what's really becoming great here on the Jacob Media Channel is that we give you all those vehicles. So if you really like the show, do me a favor, please. We appreciate everybody. And I went over for the first time and saw the comments. And uh, thank you. Uh, please share the show. And that's how we grow this bad puppy. By the way, uh, we will have tomorrow Brian Baldinger on with us from the NFL Network. He is a dear friend of mine. I've known Brian for over 30 years, and he breaks down all teams and the needs and likes, um, the direction, what coach will be on the hot seat, what coach won't be on the hot seat. Um, he is just, in my opinion, really one of the absolutely best uh, analysts that there is out there. So he'll join us tomorrow. We're also going to catch up with Dennis Dodd. Dennis is the lead writer for CBSSports.com for college football. We'll get his sense going into the 2021 season. Think of this for a second. You know, Alabama, if you look at some of the polls, preseason polls, they're favored to win it again. So how do you do that? You lose Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, you lose Najee Harris, and you lose Mac Jones, and you're favored to win the national championship again? Whoa. That I, I said this the other day. If Nick Saban does that, this might be his greatest coaching job. He's ever had at Alabama. I mean, you're you're and you're replacing the coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. All of that is league and your old line. How about those guys that went into the top five rounds that came off that old line? That entire unit is devastated. Hey, this just in. That's what I'm kind of hanging my hat on. That opener in Atlanta at the beach at the Chick Fil A Bowl. Um, I tweeted it out, and I know Krause's a Bama, he's a Bama dork, and he he loves Bama, okay? And I know I could be getting it rubbed in that day uh, when Alabama takes on Miami there at the Mercedes Dome. Oh, man. Oof. Yeah. You, you, hey, you're fighting a heavyweight champion. At least you're coming out of the gate, and you're fighting a heavyweight champion, so – We'll see how that plays out. That's the only thing I'm hanging my hat on is that that entire unit is gone, including the coordinator. So we'll talk to Dennis Dodd and get his thoughts too. All right. Real quick here. I want, I, I want to hit on one thing that I've been hearing 
And, you know, it's funny how people look at Cam Newton. Cam's one of my favorite players. I, I, I've liked him for such a long time. I voted for him for the Heisman when he was at Auburn. I've spoken to him. I've had him on my show. We are somewhat friends. Um, like, like if we, we were in a, like a, a room, he'd know who I was because he's been on my show numerous times. And I've always been a fan of his. I love the way he carries himself. I love the kind of leader he is. And I got to tell you, I think he's going to put up a great year this year. You know, Cam Newton led the NFL with touchdown runs last year when he had 12. Look at that for a minute. He had 12 TDs last year. On a football team, you couldn't name me an offensive guy on all the opt-outs, the transit. Hey, do you think anybody could have walked in off the heels of Brady and won 10, 11 football games in there with that unit, with that talent? I think it's remarkable that the Patriots finished seven and nine. You know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think with all of those things going around Cam, I think he finished the year seven and eight, and he had COVID. Remember, he missed those games with COVID? I'd like to have seen Cam Newton in that Kansas City game. In Kansas City, that game was close for a long time. At, at least six minutes left in the third, that thing was still within reach for the Patriots to win. They just ran out of talent, and they ran into talent. With the Chiefs. So, to me, I think Cam's going to have a bounce-back year this year. Now, what does that mean for Matt? Look, Mac Jones behind Cam Newton might be the greatest thing that Cam could have happen to him. Because, know this, Bill Belichick's not going to want to sit around and develop a guy and go 6-10. and 10. He just saw Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. And you know what people are starting to do a little bit, you know, starting to do this there? Oh, well, hey, Tom Brady. What has he done without Brady? Take a look at Cleveland. You know, there's a narrative where, you know, look how quick we, we can change our opinion on someone. And you can go like this. From thinking that guy, look, look, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Those guys went from contracts that those organizations gave them when they didn't need to, and they were still on rookie deals, and all of a sudden, what, 15 months later, they turn that dial, and they're both off those organizations' rosters. So the narrative of where people look at you in the league and how they look at you in the league can change on a dime. And so at 69 years of age, you don't really think Bill Belichick's going to go, hey, screw it. Let's put Cam on the bench here. We'll go 6-10, and 10, and we're not going to really care about, you know, winning anything. You know, I've already got my six rings. I'm good. I've got my place in NFL history. I don't think that guy's rolled like that. I don't think he's built like that. He's going to want to leave that franchise in a position where, guess what, the next dude that takes over for that franchise – and I don't believe it's going to be Josh McDaniel. I know everybody's got him ear hold to be the next coach. Personally, I think it's going to be Mike Vrabel. Um, he's not going to want to go in there and just start losing ball games. Last year had to put a very, very, very ugly taste 
in Patriots organization and their fans' mouth. Because you know why? Not only did you let that dude walk out the room, you not only let him walk out the room, you didn't get anything in return for the dude. You just let TB12 walk out of the building. See him. Bye. Hey, Tom, bye. You got nothing left. Bye. Whoop, that turned out to be wrong. And then you watch that dude go down to Tampa and win a Super Bowl while your team is putting along, losing two, winning one, losing two, winning one. The opt-out. If I am the Patriots, I got to get this thing back on a winning way. Now, look, does that mean he has to win another Super Bowl? I don't think Belichick has to win another Super Bowl. Look, if you just add it all up, Bill got two in New York as a defense coordinator. Bill got an AFC championship ring as a consultant for Parcells when Parcells took that Patriots team to the uh, Super Bowl against the Packers. I mean, his his legacy set. He's got eight Super Bowl rings. He's going to go down as one of the greatest coordinators in the history of national football. He doesn't really have to do anything except this. He does have to win. Because what he doesn't want to end up is being somebody where people sat back and went like this. Dude, this guy's the next George Seifert. Okay? He had all those great players. He had, you know, Steve Young. And then all of a sudden, he's drafting guys like Jim Drunkenmiller and those other stiffs that they put, Carmazis of the world, who turned out to be stiffs. And they couldn't get that franchise right. He got moved. He, got, he left, and then he ended up going to Carolina, and that was the end of him. So you don't want that. I think there's going to be a pretty good year. I think they win 10 ball games with Cam Newton up in New England. As I said, tomorrow, Brian Baldinger from the NFL Network and Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports College Football. We will talk with those guys. I want to thank Krause and Cal. You guys were awesome, as you always are. Our team puts on one of the best shows there is. Don't forget tomorrow, 4 to 6 Eastern, only place you can catch us on the Jacob Media channel. And, of course, We'll catch you on the flip side.